following sermon, entitled Jehovah's Directing of Man's Steps, was preached on the evening of May 8, 2022, at Hope Protestant Reformed Church in Redlands, California. If you enjoy listening to our sermons, we encourage you to come worship with us. For more information on upcoming service times and Bible study opportunities, please visit our website at hopeprc.org. Let's open God's Word this evening to the book of Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 16. We will read the first 16 verses. The text for tonight's sermon will be verse 9. Proverbs 16, this is the inspired and thus infallible Word of our God. The preparations of the heart in man and the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. All the ways of a man are clean in his own eyes, but the Lord weigheth the Spirit. Commit thy works unto the Lord, and thy thoughts shall be established. The Lord hath made all things for himself, yea, even the wicked, for the day of evil. Every one that is proud in his own in his heart, in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Though hand join in hand, he shall not be unpunished. By mercy and truth, iniquity is purged, and by the fear of the Lord, men depart from evil. When a man's ways please the Lord, he maketh even his enemies to be at peace with him. Better is a little with righteousness than great revenues without right. A man's heart deviseth his way, but the Lord directeth his steps. A divine sentence is in the lips of the king. His mouth transgresseth not in judgment. A just way and balance are the Lord's. All the weights of the bag are His work. It is an abomination to kings to commit wickedness, for the throne is established by righteousness. Righteous lips are the delight of kings, and they love him that speaketh right. The wrath of a king is as messengers of death, but a wise man will pacify it. In the light of the king's countenance is life, and in his favor is and his favor is as a cloud of the latter rain. How much better is it to get wisdom than gold and to get understanding rather to be chosen than silver? Thus far we read God's Word. The text for this evening's sermon is verse 9. A man's heart deviseth his way, but the Lord directeth his steps. Though we would not necessarily think this to be true, the book of Proverbs has much to say about the sovereignty of our God. When we think of the book of Proverbs, we think of all the practical instruction that it provides for us with regard to how we live our lives. But along with that, there is instruction concerning our God and His providential control of all things. We read of that Here in this chapter alone, multiple instances, chapter 16, verse 1, the preparations of the heart in man and the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. In other words, God is the one who sovereignly controls our thinking and our speech even. Verse 2 tells us that all the the ways of a man are clean 
in his own eyes, but the Lord weigheth the spirits. That is, God is sovereign in determining whether a man's way is clean or not because our God knows our motives and what's in our hearts. One other example, verse 4, the Lord hath made all things for Himself, yea, even the wicked for the day of evil. God is sovereign in creation and His purposes in creation. And the text that we consider tonight is yet another example of the book of Proverbs giving us similar instruction. For in verse 9 we read, a man's heart deviseth his way, but the Lord directeth his steps. That is, our God is the one who sovereignly directs and controls the whole course of our lives. And the fact that this instruction is found in the book of Proverbs means that this is intended to be applied to our hearts and lives. Really, that's true of every truth that's found in the Word of God, but we do recognize the book of Proverbs is filled with practical wisdom for the church. And thus, this is meant to have bearing upon how we live our lives. And it's how the wise wise man will respond to this Word of God that we consider. That in contrast to the fool. The fool is the one who may have some knowledge about things, but Refuse to, refuses to apply that knowledge, to bring it to bear upon the circumstances of his life. In contrast, the wise man is the one who takes that knowledge and makes use of it, who applies it to whatever situation, whatever circumstance of life that he might face. And there is indeed much in the way of application found in this passage. And we will try to mention a few of those points of application along the way, but the main point that we want to consider tonight that arises out of this is the comfort, the consolation that is found in knowing that while a man's heart deviseth his way, the Lord directeth his steps. So tonight we consider Proverbs 16, verse 9, using as our theme, Jehovah's directing of man's steps. Jehovah's directing of man's steps. First, we'll look at the meaning. Second, at the possibility. And then third, the comfort. Text begins by stating, a man's heart deviseth his way. When the text speaks of man, it has all men head for head in view. There is no one who is excluded when it comes to what this proverb has to say about man. And that's evident from the specific Hebrew word that's used here that's translated as man. It's the same word that's translated as Adam in the opening chapters of the book of Genesis. And what it's telling us is that all of Adam's physical descendants are in view here. So that this proverb is not focusing on only the fool or only the wise man or making some sort of contrast between the two like we see in so many other Proverbs. But this proverb speaks to every single person who has ever lived. And about mankind, this passage teaches us the truth that he is a rational creature. That is, he is one who is able to think and to will. 
And that comes out from the language of the text. It speaks of His heart. His heart being representative of His innermost life. It has in view the fact that God created man in such a way that He gave to him a, a mind, a will, a, a soul, and affections, and everything that makes up this inner life of each and every single person who lives. That also is evident that man is a rational creature who thinks and wills when it speaks of him devising. We'll talk about what that means in a moment, but the point now is that this man uses all these faculties he's been given, his mind, his will, his affections, and lives out of them. He, he makes use of them. And this is really what distinguishes mankind from every, ever, from every other living creature. When God created man, He created him in His own image. And a part of that was creating man in such a way that mankind could bear the image of God. He made him a rational, moral, and religious creature with all these different faculties that make up the inner life of man. But now we want to become more specific. We've talked about this man who is in view here, but what does he do? According to the text, a man's heart deviseth his way. Children, that word deviseth means to plan. Because the word means literally refers most thinking most broadly to any thinking activity of the mind, and as is often the case, it really has the idea of to think, to do something, to purpose something, to plan out something, whereas the King James translates it to devise something. And it has in view all of the plans that we make as well as all of the decisions that we make. It has in view our plans regarding the future. What we will do, where we will go, whether those plans concerning concern the little aspects of life or whether they concern the broadest strokes of what we will do. We make plans. We also make decisions because every day we're confronted with a whole host of different decisions. Am I going to do this or am I going to do this that? Will I choose to go this direction or will I choose something else? There's decisions and that decision making is a part of what the text has in view when it speaks of man devising his way. It's talking about his plans and his decisions. And specifically, the text tells us a man deviseth his way, that is, his path of life. Solomon is using a figure of speech here. When he speaks of our way, he's talking about a road, a pathway, one that's been well worn by repeated use, and he is using that as a a figure, an illustration for our lives so that our way, our path in this context, in this proverb, refers to the whole course of our life as it stretches out in front of us. It's the route that's laid out in front of us. refers to what a man intends to do with his life, where he will go. It's the unique path that each one of us must must walk upon. 
And specifically, this proverb teaches us that a man's heart devises, that is, he plans his way. We can use the illustration of a man setting out on a hike. Most of us, maybe not all of us, but most of us, we're going to go hiking in some area that we've never been to before. We pull out the trail map. We look at the the trail map at the start of the trail and we see the different forks in the road. We see the different paths you can take. This one involves some steep terrain. This one looks easier. Let's go to this path and then we'll take a left here and then we'll go see that site over there and then we'll circle back around this way. We plan out, that is, we devise our way, the the trail, the path that we're going to take when we go hiking. Well, that's a helpful illustration. An illustration we'll use throughout the course of the sermon to help us understand what this passage is talking about. Every one of us devises, plans out our path of life whether we're going to go this direction or that direction, what career we're going to pursue, where we intend to live. Every one of us is constantly making plans. Plans concerning the little things in life. Plans concerning the big things in life. Fathers make plans. We make plans for how to provide for our families. Plans for how to spend our evening with our children in our families. Plans at work. Decisions at work. Mothers make plans. In many respects in our circles, mothers are the master planners in the home. They're the ones who know the family schedule. What are we doing on this day? And what are we doing on that day? This is what is for dinner tonight. This is what will be for dinner the next night. Mothers make many, many plans, many decisions of how to get the kids to school, what to do when they come home. But this is broader than just fathers and mothers. Every one of us makes plans. From the time that we're little children, we think about what we want to be when we grow up. We think about whether we'll be married someday, whether God will give us children. We make plans for the future. We make plans as young people and young adults. Am I going to go to college or am I going to just try to find a job? Am I going to date at this time in my life? Am I going to date that particular person or am I going to wait a little while? Maybe I'll look for someone else. We all make many plans, many decisions. And that's what the text is talking about when it says, a man's heart deviseth his way. But now we come to the main point of the passage. Because the main point of this passage is not about our planning so much. But the main point of the passage is about God's sovereign control over all of our lives. Because the second half of the text says, but the Lord directeth His steps. The Lord directs His step. That word directs means literally to fix or to establish. It means to make something firm. And it has the idea of controlling the activity of something. It means it refers to governing something down a particular path and thus 
The King James is a very good translation. God is the one who directs. And this directing, this governing is an aspect of His providence. That's the work that's in view here in this passage. God's providence is His work whereby He powerfully upholds and governs the whole of this creation so that everything that takes place here in this earth, whether it's a hair falling from our heads, whether it's a sparrow falling from the ground, falling to the ground, it's all directed, it's all governed by our God. And now specifically, this passage teaches us that God is the one who directs our steps. The text reads, a man's heart deviseth his way, but the Lord directeth his steps. And in order to fully appreciate this proverb and what it's teaching us, we need to see the distinction between our way on the one hand and our steps on the other. A man's way refers to his plan for his life. What he intends to do with his life. The path of life he would like to walk down upon. Whereas our steps refer to the actual carrying out of that plan. Our steps refer to our actual actions and not just the actions of our feet, but the actions of every part of us, whether it's our hands, our eyes, our ears, or even the internal aspects of who we are. It's a man's steps. It's his activity. All that he does in contrast to his way, which is his plan, his purpose, his intention. And this passage tells us that God directs man's very footsteps. And you understand what that means. This passage is teaching us, therefore, more than that God controls all of the circumstances of our lives around us. It's teaching us more than that God controls everything that happens to us. Because it's teaching ultimately that God controls everything that we do down to the level of our footsteps. So that if we go back to our illustration of a man setting out on a hike, of a family setting out on a hike, the truth of this passage of Scripture is that while we are the ones who make a plan, we're going to go on this particular trail, we're going to take a left-hand turn here, we're going to see that site, this passage is teaching us that God is the One who establishes the exact location of every single step that we take along that path. Whether we do in fact take a left-hand turn or a right-hand turn. And whether our steps go off the path ever so slightly for a time or whether we re- remain on those the path. That's the level of control that this passage ascribes to our God. And you recognize God directs our steps in two different ways, as it were. So that on the one hand, at times, He directs our footsteps down the very path that we had in mind. It's our experience, is it not? 
There are many things in life that we plan to go this particular route. Maybe it's on a hike that we are going to take that left-hand turn, see the site, circle back around, and start back at the trailhead. And God so directs our steps that that's exactly what happens. Everything went according to plan on that particular hike. Well, there are other instances of that in our lives where things did go according to plan. What we had in mind is pretty much how it panned out in the end. When that happens, it's important that we recognize that's only because the Lord's leading, guiding, and directing. See, the wise man is one who recognizes this truth and humbles himself before his God and submits his will to the will of his God. The wise man is the one who recognizes the truth of James chapter 4, for example. James chapter 4, verses 13 through 15, we read the following. Go to now ye that say, Today or tomorrow we will go into such a city and continue there a year and buy and sell and get gain. Whereas ye know not what shall be on the morrow. For what is your life? It is even a vapor that appeareth for a little time and then vanisheth away. For that ye ought to say, If the Lord will, we shall live and do this or that. God is the one who determines whether our plans come to pass or not. And when they do come to pass, we recognize it's only because He sovereignly directed it so. So at times, God directs our steps down the path that we intended. At other times though, He redirects our footsteps. He diverts our footsteps down a much different path than what we originally had in mind. That is, for the man out on a hike. He may have planned to go down a particular path, but for whatever reason, due to whatever circumstances, he was led down a a different path than what he had in mind. Maybe the trail was washed out where he wanted to go. Maybe his attention was attracted to something else he saw in the distance and he takes a different path. The reason doesn't matter. There are times where we have something planned, where we have something in mind, but God sends us down a different path. And that too is a part of life. There are times where things simply do not go according to plan. There are times that fathers experience this. We have plans for how to provide for our family. But then the work falls through. Mothers experience this. You had it all planned out how you would get all these errands done during the course of the day. You'd be to school on time to pick up the children and then you would go to practice after that and from there to the next thing and you'd have dinner ready on time because company's coming over and for whatever reason, due to whatever circumstance, your day just falls apart. Nothing goes according to plan and you're frazzled by the end of the day. God directed your steps down a different path. 
Young people and young adults experience this. You had in mind, this is the person I want to marry. Things are going well. And then the relationship ends. You had in mind you were going to have this job for this coming summer. And then, for whatever reason, the, the job doesn't pan out. and You have to look for different work. And these are but a few examples. What comes to your mind, child of God? What did you have planned? What did you purpose and want? What was your way that you had devised only to have your footsteps diverted, redirected down a very different path? Well, the comforting truth of this passage is that though a man's heart deviseth his way, the Lord directeth his steps. And there is indeed comfort for us, but that comfort, we're going to hold on to that and save that for the third point. Before we get to the third point, we first need to talk about how all this is possible. And that brings us to the second point, the possibility. How is it that a man can devise his way, but the Lord directs his steps? Well, the answer has been implied through the whole course of the sermon. The possibility is that Our God is a sovereign God. That's the possibility. His sovereignty. And children, that God is sovereign means that God is in control. God is the one who is in charge because He's almighty. He is omnipotent. He has all power. And with that power, God is able to do whatever it is that He wants. Whatever He purposes, whatever He wills to do. That's the truth of God's sovereignty. And this sovereignty extends over everything. There's nothing that falls outside the boundaries of God's sovereignty. There's nothing that can get out from under His sovereign hand. And the fact that God is sovereign is implied in this passage of Scripture. In a way, it's the central teaching, but... It's implied in the name that is used for our God. The text reads, "But a man's heart deviseth his a man's heart deviseth his way, but the Lord directeth his steps." And you'll notice that the word "Lord," the name of our God, is in all capital letters, indicating that the name here is Jehovah. And while there are many important truths about our God that we associate with this name, He's eternal. He's unchanging. He is our covenant God. All of that's associated with the name Jehovah. Yet another is the truth that our God is completely independent. And that comes out from the meaning of this name. God is the one who is I am that I am. Or more simply, I am. And because He is I am, that means He does not depend on anyone else for anything. God's not looking to anyone else, any creature, any man, any part of His creation to provide anything for Him, either 
with regards to his being or his existence. He is, I am. And on the flip side, the reality is everything else is dependent on God. This very creation must be upheld by His hand. Every creature on this earth must have their food provided by His hand. Everything and everyone else is dependent on Him. And it's exactly because God is independent and everything else and everyone else is dependent on Him that our God is thus above us. He's in control. That is, He is sovereign. So you see how the name Jehovah, because of what it means, leads to the truth of His sovereignty because this name emphasizes the fact that He's completely independent and self-sufficient. Now this truth of God's sovereignty applies to many different things. It applies to salvation. God is sovereign in salvation. A truth that we love as Protestant Reformed churches. God decides whom He will save. God controls how He will save them. God is also sovereign in creation. He's the One who created all things. He's the One who created all things for the specific purpose that He had in mind. Even creating the wicked for the day of evil as we read in verse 4. But now to link this truth of God's sovereignty back to the text, the point here is that God is sovereign in His work of providence. He's in control of everything that we do down to the level of our very footsteps. But do you hear the objections? Do you hear the fool clamoring against this truth? A fool does indeed hate this truth and objects to this truth. The fool hates the reality that he's not in control of his life, that he often plans things, but life does not go according to plan. But what is more is that the fool objects to this idea that God is sovereign, that He's in control of our lives. The fool in the world says, well, that's fatalism. That's determinism, what you're preaching from that pulpit. You are robbing man of his freedom. And then the fool in the church world chimes in. You make God the author of sin. If God's in control of our very footsteps, everything that we do, well, man cannot possibly be held responsible for his sinful actions. God did it. God made him do it. And then there's the fool in each one of us. that uses this truth to make excuses or uses this truth as the occasion for despair. It doesn't matter what I do. It doesn't matter if I engage in this or that. Doesn't, there's no point in exerting effort here or there. The fool hates and objects to this truth. But the reality is that the objections that are raised are groundless. Because the teaching of Scripture is that yes, God is sovereign and at the very same time, man still wills 
and walks the path of life that he goes down. Man still wills. And now you see the importance of us bringing out in the first point who this man is. He is a rational creature. He's been endowed with these different faculties of a mind and a will and a heart. And while it's true that fallen man does not have a free will, that is, he's not able to decide for, make a decision for that which is good, man still has a will. Even fallen man still has a will. That is, he still has that faculty whereby he makes plans, whereby he makes decisions. He'll never use it to make a a good decision in the sense of something that's pleasing to God. But he still is willing in all that he does. What is more, man still walks. That too is a part of the passage. A man's heart deviseth his way. There's the man's will that we see, but then in the second half of the proverb, we read, but the Lord directeth His steps. There's still His steps. He's still the one doing the walking. That is, when God directs His steps, it's not as though God is taking man, picking him up, and then putting him down so that his feet touch down again, and then picking him back up, and then putting him down and moving him along as though he's some puppet. That's not the teaching of Scripture. But man still walks. He still is the one carrying out all these actions and doing so willingly. And because man still wills, and because man still walks, the objections of the fool are groundless. This is not fatalism. This is not determinism. Because man still willingly goes about what he's doing. And man is still responsible for his sin because God didn't do it for him, but it was that man's own actions, that man's own deeds, his own thoughts, his own words. There certainly, therefore, is no excuse for us to avoid this or to not ever engage in that. Man still wills and walks. At the very same time, God's the one who sovereignly directs His footsteps. And these two truths do indeed fit together. Perhaps we cannot wrap our minds around how so, but that's okay. Because the reality is that our finite minds cannot fully comprehend this truth. But Scripture clearly teaches it, and thus we believe it by faith, submitting ourselves to what God's Word has to say and humbly recognizing our own inability to comprehend this truth. So the question we're asking in this second point is, what's the possibility? How is it that God is able to direct man's footsteps. And we've given the answer, namely the sovereignty of God. But now, we still need to explain this further. And that explanation involves taking a step back and asking what is it that stands behind God's sovereign hand? 
Is God just directing all things on a whim? Or does He Himself have a plan? And the answer is yes, God Himself has a plan. That is, standing behind God's sovereignty is His own eternal counsel. And that too is implied in the text. A man's heart deviseth his way, but the Lord directeth his steps because God Himself does His own devising, His own planning. And that plan of our God is His eternal counsel. His counsel being His good pleasure whereby He has determined all things that will happen in this world, in the history of mankind. His plan is His good pleasure. Is it His counsel is His good pleasure as it takes the form, as it takes the shape of a, a plan for everything. And this is indeed a plan for everything. God has purposed ahead of time all the details of everything that happens in this life. And it's according to His eternal counsel that God controls all things. That is, His sovereignty and His plan are connected. It's His plan that governs and directs His sovereign hand. And it's His sovereign hand that enables Him to carry out and to execute His eternal counsel. And that applies to the steps that we take. Because a part of God's plan is His plan for each one of us. God has mapped out the specific path that each one of us will take with all of its twists, with all of its turns, with all of its bends and forks. God planned that as a part of His counsel. And what is more, because God is sovereign, we will walk the path He has marked out for us. That is to say that our plans, our devising, are always subject to God's plan. It's a truth that's implied here, but that's taught even more explicitly in another in another proverb. For example, Proverbs 19, verse 21. Proverbs 19, verse 21. There are many devices, that is, there are many plans in a man's heart. Nevertheless, the counsel of the Lord, that shall stand. Take man's devising, his plans, set them side by side with the Lord's counsel. Which one's going to stand? Which one's actually going to happen? God's plan. Because He's sovereign. Which is to say, we will walk the path that He has marked out for us. So the possibility of God directing our footsteps is His sovereignty. Standing behind His sovereignty is is His eternal plan. But now, we can back up one step further. Because standing behind His eternal plan is His infinite wisdom. And we bring up His wisdom because well, we're in the book of Proverbs. The book that's all about God's divine wisdom. Our God is a wise God. And God's wisdom is His perfect knowledge of all things. 
whereby he selects the highest end and goal for all things and adopts the best possible means to accomplish that greatest end and goal for all things. It's a bit of a mouthful. Let's unpack that. God's wisdom is first of all His perfect knowledge. God is omniscient. He's all-knowing. He has a perfect knowledge of all things. And with that knowledge, God selects the highest end and goal for all things, namely, the glory of His own name. God knows that He is the God of heaven and earth. He knows that He is worthy of all honor, praise, and glory. And thus, everything that He plans serves that end, serves that purpose. But now, not only does God have the knowledge to select the greatest end and goal for all things, He also has the perfect knowledge to adopt the perfect means, the best possible way to bring about that greatest good. And that best possible means is the salvation of sinners in and through the saving work of Jesus Christ. Thus, Jesus Christ and the cross of Calvary are central to God's plan for all things. And it's this wisdom of our God that stands behind His counsel so that it's His wisdom that in a certain sense governs and directs His plan. So that everything in this plan, everything that's a part of His counsel, is aimed at His glory. And what is more, everything in this plan, everything that's a part of this counsel, is in some way, shape, or form tied to the cross of Jesus Christ. That is, the cross of Christ is the heart and center of His plan. It's the bullseye. And everything else in God's plan, everything else in His counsel, is all related to, it all serves the cross of Christ. We see that in the Old Testament. What's happening all throughout the Old Testament Scriptures? God is preparing the way for the coming Messiah. So that every footstep recorded on the pages of the Old Testament Scriptures, every word that was spoken, it all served the coming of Christ. Young people, this is something we've seen in our study of the book of Esther. God sovereignly controlling things happening in a far away land from an argument between a king and a queen to the results of a wicked beauty contest to the fact that a king cannot sleep one night to the fact that he happens to open up this chronicle of history to a specific portion that tells him about what Mordecai did for him and we could go through the whole book of all the little footsteps, all the activities of man and how it all served the coming of Christ. Because that's what the book of Esther is teaching us, young people and the congregation. How God preserved the the line of Christ, the seed of the woman over against the destruction 
that was intended to come upon it. The point being, the heart and center of God's plan of His counsel is the cross of Christ. And everything relates back to that. Everything serves it. Especially in the Old Testament. All serve the coming of Christ and His cross. And now everything in the New Testament flows out of that work of Christ. And now the profound implication is that means even our footsteps are somehow, some way, tied back to the cross of Christ. They fit into the plan in relationship to the cross. And the wise man simply falls on his knees when he thinks about this God and His wisdom and His sovereignty and His perfect plan. But not only do we fall on our knees in worship of our God, we also take comfort from this truth. Because that is indeed the main application that flows out of this passage. There's comfort. There's unspeakable consolation knowing that while a man's heart deviseth his way, the Lord directeth his footsteps. And there are three points that we want to make in this third point. Three specific applications concerning our comfort tonight. First, there's comfort in God's wisdom and in His love when life does not go according to plan. And here we circle back to where we ended the first point. There are times where God, where we plan to go down this path, and God redirects, He diverts our footsteps down a very different path than what we had in mind. And the reality is that this can be discouraging for us. This can be very disheartening. Occasion for distress on the, for the child of God. And we know this discouragement all too well from our own experience. Every one of us does. We've all faced it where life did not go according to plan and it was painful. But there's comfort for us. There's comfort knowing God's wisdom and His love. First of all, knowing God's wisdom because you see that wisdom that we described and applied to God's counsel as a whole applies to His plan for our lives. God with His perfect knowledge has the greatest possible end and goal in mind for us. To live with Him in heaven. And God knows the best possible means to bring about that. He knows the right path of life for each one of us that brings us to heaven. That's His wisdom. And the point is, He knows what's best. He knows that there has to be this twist here and the bend over there. 
He knows there has to be the rough terrain for a season. And He knows how all of it fits together as the perfect path for me and for you to bring us to heaven. That's the truth of God's wisdom. But we have not only God's wisdom that gives us comfort in this respect, we also have His love. And His love comes out because of who this God is. It's the Lord. It's Jehovah. It's our covenant God. Yes, this name emphasizes the fact that He's independent and thus sovereign, but it's also His name that teaches us He has made us His covenant people. He has established a bond of love with us so that we can call upon Him as our God so that we are His people. His people whom He loves. And that love is a part of what dictates the plan and guides the planning so that everything in the plan, even the difficult parts, even the rough terrain, even the unexpected twist, it's all sent in love, child of God. That's our comfort. When life does not go according to plan, when God redirects, when He diverts our footsteps down a different path than what we had in mind. Second, there's comfort. The wise man takes comfort knowing that God sovereignly controls the evil plots of others. Because the reality is there are many wicked, sinful plans against God's people. The world hates the church. We were reminded of that truth this morning. The world wants to destroy the church and is always scheming against it. And what is more, there are sinful plots against us as individuals. And while they may not be life-threatening in nature, nevertheless, they do exist. And they are intended to bring hurt, pain, and damage to us. And sadly, very sadly, sometimes those plots arise in the hearts of our fellow members in the church. Think of Joseph and the plot of his brothers against him. There are wicked plans against us as a church and as individuals. But yet there's comfort. There's comfort in the sovereignty of our God who is able and often does redirect and divert their footsteps. The enemies of the church may have this plan of action in mind. This is how we're going to get at those Christians. But for whatever reason, in whatever way, God sends them down a different path. He foils their plans. He keeps them from coming to pass. And Scripture is full of examples of this very thing. We mentioned the book of Esther because the, because the young people are going through it. And that's what we see. Haman had a plan. He had devised his way. There was a plot to destroy the church. 
And God sent His footsteps down a very different path. A path that led Him to the gallows that He had built for another man. God does the same thing at Babel. There's a plot for us all, for all the wicked to come together so that we can finally shake our fist at at God and wipe out His church and God directs their footsteps down a different path. God had said, spread out. And they said, no, we're going to come together. And God redirects their footsteps so that they all do indeed scatter down, scatter away from each other. Those are but two examples. God often in His sovereignty prevents, He undermines, He foils the wicked plots that are aimed against the church. And that's comforting. But what about when the plan is successful? What about when it does come to pass? What then? Is there comfort? There is. Exactly because of His wisdom and His love. For you see, because Proverbs 16, verse 9 is true, a man's heart deviseth his way and the Lord directeth his steps, it means that when those evil, sinful plots against God's people come to pass, it's not just that, well, God allowed it to happen, that this one got through, but that God Himself directed that man's footsteps so that it would come to pass. So that that plot would be successful. It had to be that way. Exactly because it's a part of the plan. His wise plan. His loving plan for His people. That was Joseph's confession. What did he say to his brothers many years later? Ye thought evil against me, but God meant it for good. And it's the exact same word used twice in Genesis 50 verse 20 that's used here in Proverbs 16 verse 9. Ye devised evil against me, but God devised it. He planned it for good. That's our comfort. And if you have doubts about God's ability to use the wicked plans of others for the good of His people, then look at the cross. Because there were many plots, schemes against our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Early on in his ministry, the, Jew, the religious leaders of the Jews determined this man has to die. And we read again and again in the Gospel accounts that they were planning, they were plotting, they were scheming as to how they might destroy this man. And then one day, those plans came together. When Judas Iscariot comes walking up and says, I will betray him for you. And they hatch a plan then. 
And it's successful. They arrest him just as they planned. They're able to conduct their illegal trial in the night just as they planned. They're able to get Pilate to sentence him to death just as they planned. And then they planned still further. They devised still further and they marked out a path for Jesus. They determined him, they determined we're going to have him walk along this road. So that he ends up at Golgotha, at Calvary. And there we will crucify him. And it all went according to plan. Because God wanted it to go to the, go according to plan. Because it was ultimately His plan that was being carried out and not their own. And that's the clear testimony of Scripture itself. Acts 2, verse 23, Him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God ye have taken and by wicked hands have crucified and slain. Acts 4, verse 27 and 28, For of a truth against thy holy child Jesus, of whom thou hast anointed both Herod and Pontius Pilate with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, were gathered together for to do whatsoever thy hand and thy counsel determined. What these passages are emphasizing is that the death of Jesus Christ at the cross was the heart and center of God's plan. And these passages include the truth that all these characters, all these different people that are a part of it, they're all being governed by the sovereign hand of our God. He's directing their footsteps to bring about His own plan. And the point being is that the truth of this proverb is therefore our salvation. God established the steps of the wicked in their sinful ways so that Christ would die on the cross for us. It's exactly because God saw to it that their sinful plots were successful. That we had a substitute who laid down His life for us to deliver us from our sin and misery. And it's that same sovereignty, it's that same wisdom and love that controls even the sinful plots of the wicked that hit home against this church still today. And that's comforting. So there's comfort for us in God's wisdom and His love when our lives do not go according to plan. There's comfort for us in spite of all the evil plans of the wicked. Now third and finally, there's comfort knowing that God will direct our footsteps to bring us home to heaven to be with Him. For you see, every path Every road, every way has a destination. An end point. And the path that God has marked out for His children is the pathway that leads to heaven. 
And knowing the truth of Proverbs 16, verse 9 means we can be absolutely certain we will arrive at our destination because He will direct our footsteps. He will not allow us to take a different path. He will not allow us to continually backslide our way into ruin. He will not allow us to go down a path that leads away from Him. At least not, He will not allow us to continue down such a path. But He sovereignly directs every single footstep down the path that He has marked out for us so that we will be brought home to heavenly glory with Him. It's the wise man that will apply these truths. That will take comfort knowing that while a man's heart deviseth his way, it's the Lord that directeth his steps. God, give us wisdom. Amen. Father in Heaven, we thank Thee for the comforting truths that are found in Thy Word. Help us to trust them. Hear this prayer for Jesus' sake. Amen.